Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 23. I'm going to give you a minute to get there so that you can read the whole thing, the whole context, you mean before, after, all of that. We'll be spending time there in a couple other places today. But it says this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to what he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Father God, we just open up our mind, our heart, our ears, our eyes to what you want to do today. God, we receive your word. We pray, Lord God, speak in mighty ways we can't even understand. Speak to the hearts, the souls of people. And we just thank you for your word that guides us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. It says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And what that tells me is that there's not just my physical vision, but that my heart has eyes. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to what she has called you. You see, there is a physical vision and there's a spiritual vision. There is what's directly in front of me physically, but then there's spiritually what's ahead of me. And those two things are different. And so I wanna ask you this question, how's your vision? Many of you would say, I'm blind. Uh, how's your vision? Not 2020, 19, I don't even know all the different things, but I was talking to somebody recently who said they visited, um, was an optometrist. They went and visited an optometrist and got their eyes checked, and, and they told him, man, your prescription is way off. Uh, you've, been, you've, been, you've been walking around, like, seeing blurry. And so here's, and they showed him, here's what you've been seeing. And then they, like, clicked at one point. And, and showed him a different prescription, and immediately the world just became clear. Uh, everything in front of them just became, they could see it. And, and, and they didn't even know that they couldn't see clearly, but now they can see clearly. Christ follower, believer, how's your vision? How do you see the world that sees in your family, your finances, your life? Because what you see determines the decision you make. What you see determines the decision you make. Uh, my wife and I, we moved here about three years ago, and uh, we've been married for about seven years, and uh, I love her, but we, we found out early on in dating, she's a lot of things, a lot of great things, a lot of amazing things. She's beautiful, but she's a little bit blind, and, and we found out early on in dating when I would allow her to drive, and I say allow because we don't really do that anymore, um, just for my own peace. Um, don't tell her I said that. Um, <clears throat> this is being recorded. Uh, and... <laughs> But we would drive, and, and we'd miss all the exits. Uh, we'd miss one exit. He's like, oh, shoot, I missed that exit. And then we'd miss the next exit. And like, honey, do you even see him? No, I can't really make out what it says. Uh, and, or, or like we, we'd drive, and she couldn't drive in when it was dark, or she'd read the signs too late, or all these kinds of things. And, and uh, I, I realized, man, you can't see. We got her glasses. She can see now. It's fine. 
But it's scary when someone can't see clearly, right? Because you don't know if they're going to do something that is detrimental to your life or their life, right? Because they, they don't see properly. What they see is blurry. What they see is not correct. What they, they don't know what is right in front of them. So as a Christ follower, how is your vision? One of, the, one of my favorite things that PJ talks about all the time is that we did not come to redeem culture, but bring people into the kingdom. We didn't come to make culture Christian, rather to make people and bring them into the life-giving message of Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you this question, do you see through culture contacts or kingdom glasses? Do you th- see through culture contacts or kingdom glasses? Now, what do I mean by that? Culture contacts are I, what I see physically is what is. And even what I see physically is blurry, right? Everyone has a truth. There is no absolute truth. There is no right or wrong. Your truth is your truth. And everything is blurry and nothing has shape. And, and I see as the world sees from a fleshly sinful nature, but kingdom glasses, kingdom glasses. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So kingdom glasses are seeing the truth of God in every situation. I got some kingdom glasses right here. It is seeing the kingdom in everything. Now, these are prescriptions, and I can't see anybody right now. Uh, but, but, but when we walk around, how is your vision? Do I see the thing in front of me as culture sees them or as the kingdom sees them? You see, the way culture would see something is not the way the kingdom sees it. And you don't need to put on culture contacts. I thought about doing like culture glasses. You don't need to put that on. You were raised in it. You were raised in culture. You were raised in the world. You have a sinful fleshly nature. You naturally see as the world does. You naturally see limiting. You naturally see fleshly. You naturally see, that is just natural. What is unnatural is seeing with kingdom. And that requires a putting on. That requires a putting on. We don't look at the world as the culture looks at the world. I think about that person who hurt you, that person who left you. How does the world look at that person? They see that person and they say, look at what they did to me. Look at these scars. Can you believe how they treated me? I'm going to cancel you out of my life. I'm going to kick you out of my life. I'm going to cut you out of my life. And that is how culture views somebody who hurts you. But kingdom, truth, what does truth say? When you put on kingdom glasses, you see that person who hurt you and say, man, they're, they're hurting just as much as I am. You see them and you say, Jesus forgave me and them. You view them different. I think of politics. How does culture view our politics? Our government, right? When we look at it through culture context, you think, man, the world's ending. Lord, help us. Something's wrong. It's, it's all to the dumps. We don't have a future. But when I put on kingdom glasses, I realize man shall perish, but the Lord holds the world in his hands. When I put on kingdom glasses, I realize I lean not on my own understanding, and God can even use Nebuchadnezzar to achieve his will. Seeing through the kingdom. Consider the woman caught in adultery in John 8. The Jews dragged her out, culture context, they dragged her out. And they viewed her as a woman who was sinful, evil, dirty, death-deserving. That's how they viewed her. But how did Jesus view her? He looked at her, and rather he saw someone he came to die for. 
And rather, he saw grace. He saw a creation of God. What we see is not what God sees. We need to bring back WWJD, but we need to call it WWJS. What would Jesus see? Because one of the greatest characteristics of Jesus is that he saw different. He didn't see what was right in front of him. He saw it spiritually. What the crowd saw, Jesus didn't see. And what Jesus saw, no one else saw. And the same spirit that is inside of Jesus is the spirit that's inside of us. And we can every day put on kingdom glasses. And when you put these on, what is in front of you looks different. The seasons and the circumstances you see differently than the rest of the world. And I believe that is one of the greatest things this is going to make me faint if I leave these on too long. <laughs> One of the greatest things that sets us apart as believers is seeing things different, is looking at them through truth. And specifically, we look at seasons different. We look at circumstances different. What looked like a season of despair and bad diagnosis and struggling with depression, we see it as an opportunity for the move of God. We see it as a time where we are waiting on God to do something. You know, I have, uh, I have a couple kids. Uh, my oldest is three and a half. She's a girl. I have another girl. She's two and a half. And then uh, we got a, a three-month-old boy. And uh, so I pray for my wife. She's taking care of all of them. And, and with, my, with my oldest, she's still learning the difference between no and not yet. Right? So she's going to ask for something. And she keeps asking for it until dad either loses his cool or she gets what she wants, right? Because she's, she's going out. She doesn't understand, honey. Wait, not yet. That I will give you what you need, but not right now. And as believers, we see no and not yet as two different things. When you see with kingdom vision, you are not afraid to wait on God. And waiting on God is one of the greatest promises and tools we have as believers. It was something, I was raised in church, my dad's a pastor, so I heard about waiting on God my whole life and then seemed to disappear uh, sometime over the past couple years, but probably because as Americans, we want everything right here, right now. I hate to wait. Anyone else? Anyone else? Like, I hate to wait. Like, waiting in lines. Think about an airport. I hurry up and get there so that I have to sit there and wait for you to tell me when to go. It's terrible. Waiting rooms, I made an appointment. I should show up and be seen, right? Waiting rooms, a line for roller coasters. What about the devil's playground, the DMV, right? Like, like you're waiting all the time. And when I first moved here, I moved, it was in COVID during 2020. And, and we moved from Wisconsin, so I had to switch everything to get my tabs, you know, renewed and everything. And I would show up, and they had this smart idea that if everyone stood outside in the line, COVID wouldn't spread. But if you were inside, it would, right? And, and so we, they lined up at 8 a.m., 40 people outside the DMV. And I would show up. I showed up probably four times. And, and I waited for about an hour. And I said, I got to go. I'm done. And I'm not going to wait any longer. So I left. And, and I kept pushing it off. I tried a couple times, kept pushing it off because I was so impatient. That Natasha eventually got pulled over and uh, we got a ticket because we didn't renew our tabs. Because I didn't want to wait. We're so accustomed to things right here, right now. We wait for a lot of things in life. I prayed for that baby a thousand times. Why am I waiting to become pregnant? We wait for kids to come to Christ. We wait for revival in the church. We wait for financial provision. We wait for healing. We say, God, why are these things not happening? And sometimes 
life can feel like one waiting room after the other. Anyone ever been there? When I'm in a hurry, God's not. Like when I'm trying to go, 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 God's like, wait, wait, wait. God wants us to wait. Because if I got everything right here, right now, I'd be a spoiled brat. I wouldn't recognize where the fruit comes from. I wouldn't recognize who to worship with it. You see, a lot of times we say, God, save me now. He says, I'm going to sustain you now. God, take us out of the situation. He says, I'm going to take you through it. And what you're going to learn in it is as important as the end, as the fruit. Isaiah 40, 31, if you read this, it says, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you wait on God, there's a renewing of strength that happens. There's a mounting up. You're free like an eagle. You run, you're not weary. You walk and you're not faint. When I wait on the Lord. Lamentations 3 says this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. Does anyone want the goodness of God? Come on. I want the goodness of God in my life. That means I have to wait. The Lord is good to those who wait on him. And when we look with kingdom glasses, we see that season, that circumstance, that situation, that person differently. And we see waiting on God differently when we look at it through truth. And I want to encourage you, waiting is not what you think. Because I'm preaching this and you're like, praise God, I can put my petition before him and go distract myself. And that's not what waiting is. I want to point you to Psalm 37, if you put that on the screen. And there's two different waits here. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself for the one who prospers in his ways and says all that. And that goes on, for the evildoer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit their land. You know, another uh, PJism you could say that I love is he says, you know, this, this was not written in English. And then he freaks out, right? And I just love that. And, and it makes me laugh every time. Uh, but, but right, th- this is written in Hebrew. And when you take these words and, and you pick them apart, you guys, man, there's so many different meanings to these words. And the weight in verse 7 and the weight in verse 9 are two different weights. And they translate differently. They don't translate to weight. And, and, and I think with the way they translate is actually really interesting for how we understand waiting on God. And and it translates in a completely different way. And so what what I want to show you is is that you can go back to the scripture. And the weight in verse 7 is is different. So let's look at it through truth glasses. Let's see this. In verse 9, we'll start there. The waiting on God, so it says, But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That word, when you take that, it is actually a very similar word to the biblical word for hope. And, and it's a word like binding together. That's one of the translations. But then another translation uh, for that weight in verse 9, so the end, in verse 9, it speaks to somebody who has great expectation and anticipation. And that weight is like if I was sitting here and, and Pastor Zach is over there and he's having a conversation with somebody and I am just, I'm like leaning in because I want to hear what Pastor Zach has to say. I'm, I'm anticipating. I really, I just, I'm so interested in what he has to say. It's that like expect the eagerness. That's the weight in verse nine. Does that sound inactive? No. 
That doesn't sound like I'm distracting myself. I want to encourage you, waiting on God is focusing on God. Waiting on God is not, I put it before him, now I'm done. No, it's active and it's focused. Verse 7, this one's even more interesting. In verse 7, you can go back to the scripture again. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This wait has a bunch of different meanings, and, and I love this. I read it, and I had to research it a couple times because I was like, is this right? But one of the definitions of the wait in verse 7 is a whirling dance. A whirling dance, like somebody who jumps up in the air, turns around, and lands. Do you guys want to see that? Okay, who wants to volunteer and do it? If I do it, I'd lose every credibility I have in here. Not going to do that. Now, I can't say I've, whirled, I've done a whirling dance often in my life. Uh, but, but what is a whirling dance from the couple times I've done it is I am jumping into the air. I am twisting 360 degrees and I'm landing. And when I'm doing a whirling dance, what am I focused on? I can't focus on anything else. The only thing I'm focused on is jumping, twisting, and landing in a safe place I don't break my ankle, right? There's a focus to the whirling dance. I'm not thinking about anything else. I am in that moment. And waiting on God, there is a focus on what God wants to do. We look at it different. Another word that's translated here for wait is to give birth. To give birth. Now, I was talking about Mila a little bit, our firstborn. Uh, her birth was super long. We went in, they told us to come in at midnight for insurance, whatever, right? And then, and then we waited all day, and then labor happened. It was about three hours of, of like, pushing. I was ready to give up. I was exhausted. And <laughs> I think Natasha was too. And, and Natasha, she gra- you know, grabbed my hand. was ready to push again. She grabbed my hand, said, you got this, baby. You're good. I'm tired too, but we can do this. And, and, and not many of you know I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, and... And, and, and push, right? And then she'd try to push the baby out. And that's all she was focused on, right? When you're in labor, that's all you're focused on. You're not thinking about our cat at home. She wasn't thinking about our car payment. She wasn't thinking about the state of the church. She was not, she was not focused on anything else but getting that baby out of her, right? And it's the same thing with waiting on God. That word is literally translated to giving birth, to labor, There is this intense focus on God when I'm waiting on him. There's nothing else that matters. It is what God has for me. So we see seasons of waiting differently. You aren't responsible for the next season. You're just responsible to be ready for it. One of my favorite scriptures is Proverbs 21, 31. And it says this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. So we prepare for what God wants to do by waiting on him, but victory rests with the Lord. It's with him. How can you get ready for what God wants to do in your life? It is focusing on him. It is staying fixed on him. There's a story in the, in the Jewish Talmud, and uh, Mark Batterson writes about it in Circle Maker. Many of you maybe already know this story, but it's one of my favorite. And it talks about this, this Jewish prophet named Honi. And it was in first century BC, and there was a drought for a number of years, threatening to, to, start, to starve a whole generation right before Jesus. Now, one man dared to pray, and that was Honey. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought, but during a drought, it's the only thought. 
And so he went outside the city and he took his staff and, and, and he, he went and he went 360 degrees in, in the sand until there was a circle around him. And he, and he got down on his knees and he raised his hands to heaven and with authority, holy called down rain in that circle saying, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. And he stayed in that circle and he prayed fervently and it started to sprinkle. And people were freaking out. But Honey wasn't satisfied. He stayed in the circle. And he continued to pray, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And that started to turn into a, a harder rain and a harder rain. But once more, Honey stayed in his circle. He said, Lord, not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And there was flash floods that happened. And there was downpour. And there was, but Honey said, I'm staying in this circle until what I'm waiting on you on changes and moves. Waiting on God looks different. It means staying in the circle until I see what God's going to do. Mark Batterson said, preaching may move the hearts of men, but praying moves the heart of God. So waiting on God is drawing a circle around that thing and saying, God, I'm praying for this. I'm focused on this. I'm seeking this until I see it come about. Uh, my marriage, it may not look good right now, but I'm going to pray for this marriage until it is healthy and intimate and godly. That, that direction in my life, God, I'm staying in this circle until you give me direction. I'm putting a circle around it. You know, in my journal, I have about eight things in my circle prayers. I'm praying for these things until they come about. I can't tell you how many things have been checked off. You don't realize how much God answers when you don't write it down. Keep a circle, make your list. What are you feeling? What are you praying for? What feels like a season of waiting is not a season that's wasted. Slow motion is still motion. And, and with culture context, they look at waiting as a waste, but God says it's good. And if we go back to Ephesians 1 and verse 19, it says this, in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him as at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, I want you to underline some if you have your Bible, how many times it says all. All things have been placed under Jesus' feet. What do you think that means in Greek? All. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> it's all. All things have been placed under the feet of Jesus. What does that mean? He rules over it. He administers over it. He is king over it. All things. He looks at it from a place of victory and authority. That conflict and demotion at work, Christ has placed it under his feet. Hamas, Christ has placed it under his feet. Your broke bank account, God has placed it under his feet. All things are under Jesus' feet, so it might be smart to see like Jesus. It might be smart to view that situation like the one who everything has been placed under his feet. Amen? 
And it says his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power comes from believing. The power comes from putting on the kingdom glasses and saying, I believe what God says here. It goes on to say, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so he said, he made him head over everything, but only one group knows it, the church, his body. And what is the job of the body? To carry out the dictations of the brain, right? So when my brain tells my body to walk, I'm walking. When my brain tells my body to lift my hands, I'm lifting my hands, right? Because my brain is telling my body what to do. And it's the same with Christ in the church. But you see, the problem comes when the body doesn't want to do what the head says. The problem comes when I take the word of God and I read it how I want it, not how it's supposed to be read. When I read it from my American, Western, wherever I'm from, when I read it from experience, when I read it to say, justify. You know, God never said that I couldn't live with my boyfriend, just so I couldn't have sex with him. You know, so I can get from this what I need. I just can't have sex with him, and then I can still live with him. And, I, and I'm justified with God. That is us reading scripture for us. But rather than reading Scripture and interpreting it, we need to let Scripture read us. When we come to the kingdom, when we come to God, we don't come from this. Rather, we go like this. We don't, we don't come and say, okay, I'm going to pick what I need to it and, and pick it apart and, and just to justify the way I live. We say, no, we're going to let it read us. It's going to go top down. This is going to rule my way of thinking in my heart. But when we do our own thing, when the body goes away from the head, they're blind. And when the church moves away from this in kingdom, we are spiritually blind. And when you are spiritually blind, you can pray till you're blue in the face, but God's not going to bless that. God's not going to give you that because you're out of order. If you're a Christian that God cannot overrule, you are a Christian with a distorted view. And so we view everything in our life through God's power, through waiting on him, and through the word, through the kingdom. There's one last story here that I want to share, and then we're going to respond. And we're going to first, in our response time, we're going to say, Lord, I want to see things the way you see them. Lord, I want to view things the way you view them. And then we're going to have a time of waiting, of saying, Lord, I'm going to be in this circle until you answer, and I'm going to focus on you. And, and in this story that I'm going to share, it's in 1 Samuel 1, verse 3. So you're welcome to turn your Bibles there if you have it. Uh, but this story actually came uh, from someone at this campus that gave uh, the campus pastors a word from the Lord. And, and, and the Lord was like, this is the story you got to share. And spoke to me on it. And it's the story of Hannah. It actually came from somebody here at, at Farmington. And it's a story of a lady named Hannah who sought God, who waited on God. She was married to Elkanah, and Elkanah had two wives. He had Hannah, and he had Peninnah. Peninnah had children, and Hannah didn't. Now, is, is everyone there? First Samuel 1, say yes if you are. 
It says this in verse 3. Year after year, <clears throat> this man, which is Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah's sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. You know, in that season of waiting, the devil is going to try to discredit your faith. In that season of waiting on God, where you're looking at time different, you're saying this is not a waste, the devil is going to try to get you to doubt what God said in his word. He's going to provoke you. He's going to tempt you. But we see through kingdom, year after year. In verse 7, it says, this went on year after year. That sounds like some waiting. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Typical man. <laughs> Hannah, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? She said, no. <laughs> In verse 9, it says, Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. And in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look to your servant's mis misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. So Hannah was praying so intensely. She was so focused, right? Waiting on God is focusing on God. And she was so focused on God and him blessing her womb that literally she's praying and there's nothing coming out of her mouth. I've never prayed like that. I want to. Eli said, she's had too many wine coolers. She drank too much. Put away your wine. And Hannah replied in verse 15, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. That's how waiting goes. I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. You know, I encourage you in that waiting season. It's okay to open up. Tell somebody, this is what I'm waiting for. You see, Eli didn't grant her a baby, but when Hannah opened up to Eli, her face was no longer downcast. She was filled with hope. And a lot of times we're afraid to tell someone, I'm waiting for God to do this because of expectation. I don't want, I don't want someone else to think I have these high expectations. What if it's not met? What if the horse prepares for the day of battle, but the victory is the Lord's? Open up when you need it. In verse 19, it's, it goes on to say, Early the next morning, 
They arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Because I asked the Lord for him. She waited year after year. Now, we don't see time the way culture sees time. We see it through the kingdom. What's in front of me is not what's ahead of me. That thing in my life, and and as I say waiting on God, a lot of you, you got things immediately coming to your mind. That person, that situation, that job, that direction, like it's just, it's just, it's flooding my mind right now. I want to encourage you to be like Hannah, pouring out my soul before the Lord. I saw some people here at the altar during worship. Like that is, that, that's how I picture Hannah. I am on my knees, just pouring out my soul before the Lord. And I see my season of waiting differently. I'm fixed on God. I'm focused on him. Will you stand on your feet? We're gonna respond here in a moment. But one of the things that, and Pastor Jack is going to come up here, the team's going to come up, and, and he's going to lead you in this time. One of the things that I learned a couple years ago was from Martha Tennyson. Many of you know her. But she talks about this phrase, pray through. And that's very similar to the circle, but it says, I am going to pray for this thing, and I'm going to stay here until God does it. As, as Psalm 9 says, when David said, I put my petition before the Lord in the morning, and I wait. That's what we're going to do today. We've made time for that today. You don't rush out of this moment. You stay in it. But what I ask you to do, you close your eyes right now. And before we move into that, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about your vision. Ask the Holy Spirit, how do I see things? This thing in my life, this, this, this waiting season in my life, this circumstance in my life, how do I see it? Do I see it as the world sees it or do I see it through kingdom? I want you to take a moment, let the Holy Spirit speak to you.